All right, thank you, Inez. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? That Inez was a member of the church that met here before our congregation came to this site. And uh, by an invitation uh, from the church, she felt God leading her to, to stay at this church. And this church is filled with so many uh, wonderful members. I'm, a ha- I'm happy that you are a part of our church. In fact, I'm a- happy that me and my family, uh, that we are a part of this church. The last couple of weeks we were away as we were on our annual vacation. Uh, each year we go back to see my family in the Midwest, and, and every year we go back, I'm reminded that there are a couple things that I definitely do not miss about the Midwest. I don't miss the bugs because here in California we don't have nearly as many bugs and mosquitoes. And I don't miss the cold weather. Now this time of year is hot and humid and I don't, and I don't miss the humidity, but I also especially don't miss the cold winters. But uh, there is one thing that I, that I really actually do miss and that is a big thunderstorm. I mean, we get thunderstorms here in California, but nothing like they get in Iowa where I grew up. And uh, sure enough, when we were back, I was sleeping in a camper. We were camping uh, while we were on vacation. And about 5.30 in the morning, there's this boom! I mean, it's massive! I was dead asleep, and then all of a sudden, I am wide awake. Dawson's laying here next to me, and he says, Dad, what's that? He's all frightened. I said, welcome to a good Midwestern thunderstorm, my son. And for the next couple hours, we were watching the lightning. It would light up all the outside, and then you count one 1,000, two 1,000, Bam! And the thunder crashes, and it's awesome to behold. And, uh, and there's nothing like a good thunderstorm. Well, it's interesting that when we uh, turn to God's Word, one of the analogies that Jesus uses for His kingdom is that of lightning. Listen to what He says in Luke 17, 24. For the Son of Man in His day will be like lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end or the other. This idea that uh, Jesus says that his kingdom will be like lightning brings to mind some things that we might be able to remember about his kingdom. First of all, lightning is obvious. It's unmistakable. No one says, oh, shucks. I was around that day, but I I didn't experience the lightning storm. No, no, everybody notices lightning. And when God comes in his kingdom, it is obvious. The second thing is, it's awesome. There's nothing like a good thunderstorm. And God's kingdom is awesome. If you might not grasp anything else in today's message, know that God's kingdom is awesome and it is worth living in. And then thirdly, It is frightening. You know, Dawson was a little scared to hear the thunder and the lightning until he understood that he was safe from it. And we ought to know that there is something frightening about the kingdom of God because while those of us that have trusted in God are safe, there is also also the fearful reality of a future calamitous judgment. And so I bring up these things to introduce us just to begin to get our minds around the kingdom of God because I think that there is a spiritual challenge for us here. 
Do you feel like uh, during this time in your life that, that God has your undivided attention? And maybe even during this pandemic, uh, whether it be from that or whatever reason, but you, you sense in your heart that there has grown a spiritual apathy, maybe a lukewarmness. And, and the worries of this world, the concerns that are all around you have, have not drawn you towards God, but maybe in some ways have drawn you away from God. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe it's just spiritual laziness. Maybe it's a, a spiritual lukewarmness. But as we turn to God's Word this morning, this idea of His kingdom is to be like a lightning bolt that wakes us up out of our spiritual slumber. That we, might become, that we might become passionate and alive to the things that God is doing around us and in us and in our midst. And so that is my hope and prayer for each of us, that as we look at God's Word this morning, Jesus teaching on His kingdom, that He will wake us up spiritually. In fact, that has to be a work of the Spirit. So let's just go before the Lord in prayer and ask for His help as we turn to the Scriptures this morning. Father God, it is, uh, it is th this morning we come before you, and, and uh, it is exciting to be in this live stream service. It is still uh, takes some getting used to, to to preach in this manner. But God, may we be mindful that this is all about you. No matter where we are at or what format we're experiencing this, God, we simply want you to be glorified. And so now we turn our hearts to you. We turn our souls to you and ask that you would have your way in us. Open up your word to us today that we might be able to hear from you, be blessed by you, and enter into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. As we turn to uh, Luke 17, our passage for this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 37. And uh, right away in verse 20, we're given the audience to which Jesus at least initially speaks. He says that he, uh, it says that he is talking with the Pharisees. If you've been traveling with me, uh, with us, through this sermon, through the Gospel of Luke, you'll know well who the, the Pharisees are. These are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They're, they're zealous for God. No one's going to deny that they, they do not have a passion for the Lord. In fact, they are very concerned to see God come and to do His work. Uh, and so they... And in that, they desperately want to see the Messiah come. The Messiah would be Israel's Savior who would rescue God's people from their enemies, especially the Romans who were oppressing the Israelites. And so as they were anticipating the Messiah, they were on the lookout for the kingdom of God. And so now let's go to Luke 17, starting in verse 20. Let me read this to us. It says, once being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Let me just pause right there for a moment. When we begin to uh, to study and to understand the kingdom of God, we have to first of all understand that it is in our midst. It's in our presence. 
When we speak of the kingdom of God, we're speaking of the reign and the rule of God, and we have to understand that it is all around us. It is the, it, uh, the kingdom of God can be seen and experienced in the things that we are going through in our everyday lives. Now, the Pharisees knew that the kingdom of God is coming. They wanted to know when he was coming. And, and uh, Jesus is emphasizing the immediacy of it, that, is, that it, he is here now. But the Pharisees are missing what's happening right in their midst because they are so obsessed with the signs that are to be observed. Jesus says the kingdom cannot be something that, ob- at, that is observed, where you can point to it and say, there it is, or, or here it is. The kingdom of God is in their, uh, in their midst. And And so the Pharisees' problem that they missed the the Messiah, the kingdom of God, is because they were trying to put God into a box. That they could interpret, this is how, God, you're supposed to come. This is how you are supposed to work. And they they had become so narrow-minded in their thinking about spiritual things that they missed the unexpected, the reality, the the blessings of God himself in their midst. Now, our culture today is also hungry for spiritual things. But we ought to heed the warning of Jesus here not to try to put God into a box. Not to become so narrow-minded that we think, oh, God could only show up in this way, or God could only do this, that we miss God when he comes in spectacular ways, kind of like that bolt of lightning that is awesome. Wouldn't it be tragic if we miss what ought to be so obvious to us? A lot of the ways uh, that people put us, uh, have a sign for if God is present or not today is with this idea of personal affirmation. People want a God to tell them that they are okay. And if they hear of God that says that God wants them to change or to be different, or they have a church that tells them uh, uh, this, that God wants to transform their life in one way or another, they will quickly write that off as bogus or not of the Lord. They have a sign, they've created a sign in which God fits into a box. The mantra of today is maybe be yourself or be true to yourself. And I think that there, are, there is some truth to that, but we ought to be careful not to define God in that he could not come in and transform us in ways that he wants us to really live into the way that he created us to be. One sign is personal affirmation. A second sign might be what we call social justice. Is that not how uh, uh, what is going on so much in our world today? And God is surely in this, that God wants everyone to be treated fairly and with equity and equally. God is surely in personal affirmation, and God is surely in social justice, but we could easily fall into the same traps as the Pharisees who were after something that God wanted to bring, his Messiah. But we could draw such a box around these things that God could only show up in very specific ways. And if there is something here or something here that is slightly different than the way we expected it, we could miss out on what God is trying to do in our midst. And so my challenge to us is to embrace the work of God because God does want to show up in our midst. 
to embrace the work of God, but to remember that, uh, to remember that God may come in unexpected ways. There may be something here that he wants to transform in us. There may be something here that he wants to transform in society that is different than what we originally anticipated. Now, this is not just to look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's right. Good, good point, Pastor Corey. So-and-so needs to hear this and point the finger at another group or another individual. That is exactly what the Pharisees did. They thought they had it all together, so much themselves, and so-and-so needed to get it right. And they were the ones that missed the work of God, the kingdom of God. So this is a point for each of us individually, not to point the finger but the, outward, but to point the finger inward and to say, God, what are you trying to do in my life? God will draw near to you if you open yourself up to hearing from him. That's what Jesus wanted to say to the Pharisees. That's what Jesus wants to say to us. And now he turns uh, in this passage, now he turns his attention to the disciples. The disciples were those that were Jesus' followers, and he spent two verses on the Pharisees. He's going to spend 15 verses on the, on the, uh, to- speaking towards the disciples. And so as we turn to this in Luke 17, verses 22 through 37, I want to give you the structure of the passage because this will help us to work through it in a timely manner. The passage here is really set up as a chiasm. There's a parallel between the first part and the last part. And so in the first couple verses, Jesus is answering the question, where? And he'll come back to that question in the last verse. The A of the chiasm is where? The B of the chiasm has to do with suffering and rejection. And so in in the first B, in in verse 25, it is speaking of Jesus' rejection and suffering. And then he's going to come back to our rejection and suffering. We'll go through this, but we'll have to go through it fairly quickly. And now notice that the middle part of the chiasm, the C, is our challenge to be ready. Anytime there's a chiasm in A, B, C, B, A, we recognize that the middle part is the most important, the application of it. And so this is where we are going. Let me start with the A, the where. Jesus is answering the question, where do we see the kingdom of God? Verses 22 through 24, uh, it says, Then he said to the disciples, The time is coming when you will no longer, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. In other words, you'll want to see the work of God, but you will not see it. People will say to you, and hear the parallel to what Jesus has said to the Pharisees, people will say to you, there he is, or here he is. Don't go running after them. For the Son of Man in his days will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. If we're to answer the question of where is the kingdom of God, we ought to recognize that it should be obvious. It'll show up in an unmistakable way. Now, when we think of the kingdom of God, he, uh, Jesus has already emphasized the immediacy of it, that it's right here in the midst. But as we continue on to study Jesus' teaching here, we understand that there is also a future aspect of it. We might say that the kingdom of God is both already and not yet. The not yet part is when Jesus comes back a second time. You see, we have to understand that God is at work. His presence 
and his, uh, and his power is at work right around us. That's the kingdom of God. But that presence and that power will realize, be realized in a, in a complete form when Jesus comes back a second time. It'll be like a boom, a crash of lightning. And Jesus will come in the clouds and all the earth will recognize him. It will be unmistakable. Now, I grew up in church traditions in which they tried to define the second coming with lots of charts and graphs. And you know what, I, you know what charts and graphs did for me? They went right over my head. I had no idea. I still can't follow those things. All I know is you don't need charts and graphs to figure out the second coming of Christ. He'll come and it'll be obvious and it'll be awesome. So Jesus answers to the disciples' questions of where the kingdom of God is, and he comes back to that question in the last verse. In fact, he specifically asked, Where, Lord? They asked him, and he replied, Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Now, if you're going to commit every, any Bible verse to memory, this is probably not the one that you choose. It's kind of an ugly verse. I, you know, I hate vul- I would hate to be a, compared to a vulture. But that's, in a sense, that's what God is doing here. I, I'll admit, I've wrestled with this verse all week. This is a tough one to understand. Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Here's my conclusion. This is how I, I think it ought to be interpreted. Vultures... They just kind of show up whenever there's a dead animal, right? They just kind of, they begin to circle the sky and they, for some reason, they know when maybe a predator is about to attack his prey that they have a sense that when there's a sick uh, animal that's going to die, they just show up. It's like second nature. I don't know if they smell the blood or, or what it is, but they just show up on the scene at just the right time. And I think that's part of what... Uh, God is challenging us here too as well. May we just kind of, by second nature, be ready for the kingdom of God. It's not something that you can plan for. When God shows up, it, it comes like a bolt of lightning. It's sudden. It's immediate. And, uh, and we can look for the signs all we want, but we will not be able to predict it. We simply go about our daily business in, a, in such a way that we are constantly ready. Jesus describes it in this way in verse 35. I tell you, on, the, on that night, the night when Jesus comes back, two people will be laying in one bed. One will be taken, the one who is ready, and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, and one will be taken, and the other left. Can you imagine the scene? You're in your cubicle working, and uh, all of a sudden, your coworker is gone. Or you're at your home playing uh, with your kids, and all of a sudden, one of you is taken and one of you is left. It's a fantastic scene, and it challenges us to be ready, to be ready for uh, God's coming, because there are some who will be taken away to God's place for salvation, and there are some who will be left, left for judgment. That's the frightening part of the kingdom of God. And so let me ask you this question. Are you ready? Will you be among those who are taken or among those who are left? God challenges us to, to be ready to, to, see the, uh, to see the kingdom of God. Now, uh, part of this kingdom is it's not easy. 
If it's easy, everybody would be ready. It comes with suffering and rejection. In fact, uh, the start of God's kingdom starts with the cross. When we turn to the second part of the chiasm, it talks about Jesus' suffering and rejection. Well, it talks about suffering and rejection, first from Jesus and then towards his followers. First for Jesus, verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. That's the cross, right? And that's part of God's kingdom. It's easy for us to understand in hindsight. We've had 2,000 years to get used to this. But for the first century hearers, they were like, whoa, what are you talking about? That didn't make any sense. That didn't fit within the box. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And now here is the part that we still haven't gotten used to. The idea that we ourselves will suffer and be rejected. And he turns, first of all, to an example. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Now, what's the example of Lot's wife? Lot, we go back to Genesis 19. Lot is uh, obvious. Lot is with his family in the city of Sodom, and uh, Sodom is a wicked city. And God told uh, told him to take his family and get the heck out of there because he's going to rain down fire and brimstone, and the whole city is going to be destroyed. And as they go, you know, make a beeline out and don't even pause to look back. Well, wife's lot, uh, uh, Lot's wife, on the way out, turns her shoulder back to look at the city. And the Bible says that instantly she is turned to a pillar of salt. Here's the point that Jesus is trying to make. When we come to follow him, don't look back on our possessions, on what we had before. Don't look back, but but rather enter into the life of uh, suffering that he calls us to. It's a life of self-denial. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be, one of, to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's an enigma but it's the reality of the kingdom. That when we lose our uh, lives for Jesus, we actually find it. You know, we speak about the culture of today of personal affirmation, and and we want to just be affirmed in who we are. Well, Jesus wants to affirm us in who he has created us to be, in who he loves us. He wants us to actually enter into the life that he has for us. I've heard the kingdom of God described as the life that God intends for us. And that's what's uh, being driven, driven at here. It is a life of, uh, of uh, denial, self-denial. I think of three big, big uh, areas of self-denial when we think of life in the kingdom. The first is status. To lay aside our status, to, to, to lay our, aside our status of of how we find our identity and our work or what we are to accomplish. This is an area of self-denial. The second one is sexuality. You know, we like to define how we, uh, how we think we should uh, be sexually, either in our practice or in our identity. And, some, and for some of us, the kingdom of God is, will be difficult to practice self-denial in this area. And then the third one is stuff, our possessions and our money. Now, I'm sure that there are more, but if we start with these three, those are three big ones. 
And we're well on our way to living into the, in the kingdom of God. It's not easy. You look at that list. Believe me, it's not easy. C.S. Lewis said, if you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, you're embarking on something that will take the whole of you. You know, I wish the Christian life was easy. I wish I could stand up here and say it's all sh- sunshine and rainbows. Uh, but the Christian life is hard. But you know what? It's worth it. The, Christian, uh, the kingdom of God can be frightening, but it is also awesome. It's magnificent. To live the life that God intends us is to live in the kingdom. In other words, to live in an awareness of God in our lives, in his, in his presence and in his power. And so how are we going to do this? Now we get to the third point, the middle part of the chiasm, what we could simply uh, say to be ready because Jesus is coming to bring his kingdom. How do we do that? Well, Jesus is going to help us to learn to be ready by turning to two Old Testament examples. The first is found in verse 26, speaking of Noah, it says, Just as it, was, as it was in the days of Noah, so it'll also be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same... Oh, let me pause there. I want to just, I want to take these one at a time. Let me pause with Noah. So uh, back up one. Thank you. And so here, here is uh, Noah, and uh, they're going about their daily, li- their daily business, like you and I would every day, eating, drinking, marrying. N- not only the people outside of Noah's family, but Noah's family as well. But the thing is, Noah and his family were re- ready. The others were not. What was the difference? Noah and his family were living with an awareness of what God had called them to. They were living with a single-minded orientation to fix their minds on what God had said to them. Now Jesus goes on to the second example, that of Lot. It was the same day, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day they, Lot left Sodom. Fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So in other words, what is God calling us to here? He's not calling us to lock ourselves in our room or in our closet. He may be calling you to lock yourself in your house because it's a time of quarantine. But for spiritually speaking, he's not calling us to isolate ourselves from the world. What he's calling us to is to go about our daily business with an orientation, with our mind fixed towards him. To recognize God in all things. To go about your work and to work as Uh, as to the Lord. To be with your family and to be mindful that God is with you and your family. To engage in good conversations with a spiritual eye to what is God doing in this person's life or what is God calling me to say to this person. To go about our interests and our hobbies and our our daily activities, you know, things of entertainment with the, with the eye that God is there and, and he is with us. 
You see, if I was to boil it down to one sentence, what we're talking about here is to live in the kingdom of God is to live with a single-minded orientation towards God. I challenged us at the beginning of this message, what if we have grown spiritually lukewarm or apathetic? Well, here's the answer. How we break free of that is to turn our mind towards God so that we are living with him all the time. Now we, now we open up our, our Bibles and we read and we pray so that our minds are trained to see God all over the place. If, we feel like you've, if you feel like you've grown cold in your uh, walk with God, begin to ask God to open it up that you might see him in everything. This is how he wants us to live. In fact, if I was to define spiritual maturity, the difference between a, a person that is immature spiritually and a person that is mature spiritually is how much awareness they have of God. The spiritually mature person is the person who sees God in all things. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you, that we would see God in all things, that we would see God in this community that God has uh, placed us in. As a church, we had this conviction as a congregation that, that God gave us this location 20 years ago for a reason that God wants us to be in this community. And God is involved in this community already if we have eyes to see. And God is involved in your family. And God is involved in every person that you meet and interact with. If we have eyes to see, you see, we grow spiritually lukewarm because we don't recognize God all over the place. This is life in the kingdom that we would begin to, to see him all over the place. Part of what we did on our vacation is we took a trip to the Black Hills in South Dakota. And we're driving through this forest and we're looking for buffalo. And, uh, and we did see a lot of buffalo, but we saw a lot more uh, yellow-bellied marmots. These little rodents. And uh, they're funny little animals. They come up out of their holes and they're looking all around and, you, and, uh, and, and they're just like all jittery there. And then they see you and they, they pop back down in their holes. And uh, there's just like this, oh, that they're constantly aware of their surroundings. And I just challenge us to be constantly aware of God at work in our lives. It takes persistence in looking for God. It takes purposefulness in the way we live. It takes being present in the moment. And it takes patience in waiting for him. Look at that list. Is that a, a list that describes your life? May it be so. May you uh, receive the challenge of God to be persistent in looking for God, purposeful in the way you live, present in the moment, and patient in waiting for him. And if you do... You, God will show up. He longs to bring you into his kingdom. You know, as Dawson and I and the rest of the family were laying in the camper and the thunderstorm was taking place outside, uh, all of a sudden I realized, oh no, all our luggage is in this tent outside and I never zipped up the flaps. And so at 5.30 in the morning, I, I wake up and I, I sprint outside because I had no idea it was going to rain that night, and it's pouring down rain. I'm afraid that all my stuff is soaked. And I get it out there, and I pack it up as quick as I can, and I bring it in and uh, praise the Lord for dryers because a lot of it was soaked. But you know what? God is calling us to wake up. 
to get to work, to be mindful that, that it's all happening all around us. If we, just, if we just recognize that he's at work and simply be mindful of him. The kingdom of God is like a lightning bolt. It's exciting. It's powerful. And, uh, and God is calling us to be involved in it. May the light of his grace light up your life, light up your family, light up all your relationships so that you might see him at work. May it be like a lightning bolt that breaks the darkness. And may it break the darkness of our hearts spiritually so that we can see him all around us. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you that your kingdom is awesome. We thank you that it is still on the move today. That the kingdom that you initiated in the coming of Jesus and his death on the cross is uh, still at work. And, and we're waiting for the climax. We're waiting for the culmination in the second coming of Jesus. But here in this, in this interim period, may we, you give us eyes to see what you're doing all around us and through us and in us. God, break us, up, break us out of our spiritual slumber. God, I pray that you would help us to walk in fellowship with you and be mindful of you all around us. Pray for this upon each person that watches this this morning, that you would bless them in this way this week. In Jesus' name, amen.